Welcome to the Rural Sales Show with my dad and host Sinjin Craner. Each week, my dad interviews people who you can learn from like sales and marketing experts, authors and performance coaches to help you and your rural sales team get to the next level. Oh, and make sure you subscribe or rate us on iTunes so you can buy me a motorbike. And now here's my dad. This week we talked to Richard Petrie. He is a former New Zealand Black Cap cricketer. Richard uh, has a stellar career across sales and marketing coaching. Uh, he's well known, he's well respected. He's now niched into advising architectural firms on sales and marketing. And like all guests on this show, we bring guests who sit outside our sector so they can bring us some different perspectives so we can learn different things. And you're going to learn a lot in this uh, particular episode. Richard, like me, he's a student of psychology. He's fascinated by human behavior. He's a big lifelong learner. So it was a real gift uh, and privilege to get him on the show. And we jam and we talk um, and have a really good conversation about what motivates people, uh, how to influence, persuade, and negotiate um, the six motives of human beings. And we talk about getting, get, helping people get what they want and uh, how they think and how they feel and their emotional state. So it's a really, really good one, this one. I, I could have spoken to Richard for hours, but he's been super generous with his time and uh, doesn't necessarily need to come and talk to us, but he did grace us, which we're, we're very, very grateful for. So I'll let Richard talk. Um, You'll learn, as always, hopefully a lot from this show, from this episode. So listen, learn, take notes if you're not driving, and, and most importantly, don't just attain the knowledge. Please, please apply the knowledge. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, this week, ladies and gents, boys and girls, we're very special. We have a bloke by the name of Richard Petrie on uh, on the show. And Richard's got a accolade of backgrounds. He's a former New Zealand black cap cricketer. Uh, bowler by trade. Um, he's a pretty clever fella on the sort of coaching consulting scene. He'll tell us more about that in a minute. And uh, Richard, without me rambling on, I think probably we should uh, introduce you and say good day, and then tell a little bit about who you are and what you do to the listeners. How's that sound? Yeah, sure. Um, okay. So my first job was, I won't go through every job, but it's always good to start at a base level, but was a box handler for PDL and Christchurch. So I would, there was a construction belt of, they were making a fans and the girls on the production line would have their drills and their bits and they'd all be sitting in a line and I'd have to bring them the components so that they could screw the, screw the drill into the fan and, and or, or the boxing or the housing. Richard, I'm out of housing. I'd have to run off, get the box of housing, make sure she had... And you know, it, it's and then you'd see the guys in suits walking along, thinking, "Oh, I'd love to be one of them one day." You know, they're just walking along, relaxed, and I'm running. Richard, fans, more fans, amount of fans, and if, if, if you know, if they miss their, they have to do a certain number of heaters to to hit their budgets, and that's or hit their budgets, and then get their bonus, and they're all after their bonus. So that was my first job, first real job. Um, this is while I was at university, so it wasn't like a career choice. Because you're a Canterbury, you're a Canterbury boy, aren't you? Yeah, by trade. Yeah. But now you're in Wellington, aren't you? Now in Wellington, yeah. Been here, yeah, about thirty something years. So yeah, and then yeah, had a long career of sales. Went into sales. I could either I did a marketing degree, but I could either do marketing and do a marketing t- 
cadet type job, or I guess originally, and not earn much money, will go and sell photocopiers. Some of my mates were selling photocopiers, and that was the greatest. I'm so pleased I had that job. It was the toughest job, but um, you know, selling photocopiers door to door teaches you. And a lot of your listeners, I mean, a lot of your listeners, I know, you know, are in sales, but you know, it can be brutally tough. And there's nothing tougher than kind of selling a commodity or a, a big ticket commodity item when you don't have a client user base and you just have to knock on doors and go through buildings. And um, yeah, I learned everything. I learned so much doing that job about people, about people. Um, and I'm so pleased, even though it wasn't pleasant at times. I'm so pleased I sold photocopiers early in my career because it really set me up for, for everything else. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I don't have that same experience, Richard, but everyone I've spoken to, particularly my Palmer UK mates that work for the Canon or the Fujitsu's, or they're almost like uh, the university of sales. Like it's the hard score, hardcore yeah. school of hard knocks. I, yeah. I reckon, so let's get straight into this. Do you think we've got lazy at selling with all this inbound kind of automation funnel shit that's flying around? Oh, course. definitely. Yeah, look, definitely. And a lot of the marketing that's happening now, it's, it, you know, because it's all, you know, advertising on Facebook or YouTube or all this type of social media stuff and all that type of stuff, and let's automate it all so we don't have to do anything. That plays right to the hands of a lot of people because a lot of people are scared to go and approach someone else. For a number of reasons, you know, they're just scared to approach them either an introvert or they don't know much about their product or they don't they fear rejection. And so it's really, you know, this social media thing is great for most people because you can out you kind of outsource all the approaching and not have to do it yourself. But what a lot what the most successful marketers online now are doing, ironically, and they're calling it breakthrough and all this type of stuff, but they're going back to the old school methods of, um, you know, calling people when someone leaves a message, you know, call them back. Don't send them an autoresponder series of messages hoping to, you know, someone call them back for goodness sake because the conversion rate of someone calling back is exponentially higher than your, you know, 56 email sequence that's clearly written by, a, you know, it's a robot. So, you know, it, it, people buy from people. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche. I've got a few cliches around selling, but they're all quite useful. I think cliches. I think cliches, Richard, have a lot of truth to them. That's why we keep using them, right? They can do. You can't. You can have competing cliches, of course. We could start talking about metaphors. Each other, we, but we, we could start talking analogies and metaphors. We we'll just see where we go, eh? I love metaphors. So do I. So what, those, how much meaning? Well, one of, you're talking about influence and persuasion. Metaphors are one of the most powerful, you know, tools and things that you can use. Awesome. So useful. We'll so get into useful. that very shortly. So let me not cut your flow. Tell me, tell me more. So, like about the fascination that you learned with people, because I think you and I share a similar curiosity around why people do what they do. And hmm. you know, the times we have bumped into each other, which hasn't been enough. When I was down in Wellington, I've always admired you from afar around your even in your sporting career, like your fascination with and curiosity with human behavior, right? So with the, selling the photocopiers door to door. Yeah, school of hard knocks, right? You know, proper university probably made a shit ton of cash, certainly more than you would as a marketer, which I love yes. to hear because you know I follow the same thing. I I thought yeah. as a marketer, but ended up being a salesperson. Yeah, um, I certainly know which one pays more. Um, 
So tell us more around the kind of people thing. What, what did you pick up? What did you learn most about people when you were selling? Yeah, interesting. So I think some people have a bent for people and some people have a bent for data, you know, and, and other things. I certainly ha- have a bent for psychology and, and I'm naturally interested in how people think and how they make decisions and actually what motivates people. So the first, I don't know if this is too far off the beaten track, but you said earlier, you know, I was in the black cap. So this this relates to selling mm. ultimately, awesome. to this mindset. Um, when I was about 19, uh, before I had my wonderful job as a, as a runner on the conveyor belt, um, I was always trying to play, I wanted to play cricket for Canterbury. And that was my driving force and I wanted to do it. And I was playing club cricket and sort of hitting a bit of a ceiling. I was going quite well and I was putting in all the training. I was highly motivated. I didn't lack motivation, but I wasn't getting selected for teams and things like that. And then I started to think, okay, what what do I have to do? What do I have to, what you know, what's stopping me and holding me back? And I remember listening to uh, an interview. It was with Jeff Howarth who was the captain of the New Zealand cricket team at the time, so that's how long ago it was. And he was being interviewed by the radio guy, and he said, the radio guy said, what's the difference between a first-class cricketer and an international cricketer? And he said, hmm, he said, it's all in the top two inches. Mm -hmm. Interesting. International cricketer isn't necessarily any more skilled or anything like that any more better, but he thinks differently or she thinks differently. And it's all, it's all in the, it's all in their mindset. And I, I remember listening to that thinking, that's right. You know, that makes sense. It is the top two inches because you see a lot of players and, you know, some of them just end up doing better than others and you, you don't look at them as any better or anything like that. But anyway, so I thought I've got to study, I've got to study, sports psychology i got to try and understand it and at the time at that time there's no internet or anything so i ended up buying from from a book or something or a magazine buying some sports psychology books by mail order from the us mm. and so i got these books out and they were quite one of them was quite good but i had a fascination with sports psychology because i thought if i i'm as fit as anyone I'm, i mean my skills are there or thereabouts, but if I could be the best mentally, if I can be better than everyone else mentally, then that's where I can win. That can be my advantage. And, and at the end of the day, if it's 80, I think he said it's 80% mental. So if it's 80% mental, that's the bit I need to study and be good at. I need to be good at the 80% because everybody's working at the 20%, the skills, the fitness, the, I don't know, play more games, no one's working at the 80%. So if I can nail that, then then maybe that can give me the edge that I, I'm, I need. And so I studied this stuff and I, um, you know, worked on it and thought about it, you know, studied, thought about it. And I remember saying to one of my coaches, I said, oh, you know, what's what makes someone successful? And he said, oh, it's, you know, it's 80% mental. And he explained why. And I go, oh, yeah, well, you know, what are we going to do at training tonight? 
he goes, oh, well, you know, you'll, you'll bowl for an hour and bat for 20 minutes and then we'll do some fielding and <laughs> go for a run around the, the field. And I said, oh, okay, so the 20%. And he looked at me and said, yeah, I said, when are we going to work on the 80% that you said? Great question. It, it, it didn't go down particularly well. No, I imagine you were very popular. No, didn't go down particularly well, but um, but that was the point: is that we spend all our time on the twenty percent, and so I was determined to try and learn the eighty percent. And I tell you, it's the same with salespeople. So when I was, you know, sort of working with sales teams, um, my my angle, my pitch was: um, so if anyone ever tries to hire me, then they'll probably, you know, I'll, I'll have to draw pull this dust. Are you this sure? Are you sure you're employ- are You sure you're employable? I- I'm not sure about that. What do you reckon? No, not as an employee. <laughs> but I'm handy as a hired gun sometimes. <laughs> I know you are. Um, but I would say, right, what what you got your sales team there, what portion of their success, given they know the product and they know how to sell, what portion of their success would you attribute to their mindset, like their beliefs and their motivation and their focus and and the, the sales manager or the owner would always go, Oh, I don't know, you know, good 80, 90, 90%, 80%. And they go, really? That high? And they go, oh, yeah. And they go, well, you know, I've got two guys and they're both, you know, they're both the same. And da-da-da. But but Dave, Dave, you know, Dave's this and he's doing he's doing way more, but he's got the, you know, the mindset. And I go, oh, right, mindset, yeah. So it's 80% mental. He go, yeah, it's 80% mental. He go, what do you teach? What, 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 you know, what are we talking about? And I go, I, I teach the 80%. That's yeah. what I teach, mindset. Because your yeah. guys have had sales training and they've had, you know, they know how to sell. Is That's not the problem, is it? Like, no, most, most of them, Richard, most of them. Most of them, that's right, not all of them. But but, but this is to someone who has. This is to someone who, who's yeah. had, so, you, yeah. know, and they, you know, yes, we've had. So, you know, and I don't know if it is 80%. I mean, I mean you know, Certainly you can – but the point is it's important, but it's neglected to a large degree, right? 100%. So- 100%. I couldn't agree with you more, and I wanted to hear where you were kind of going with that one. So on the cricket side, you know, obviously they had Anika Gilbert, uh, All Blacks, forgive me, I've got that wrong. Then Kerry Evans turned up, and yeah. um, he he did a brilliant book, didn't he? Walking Towards Pressure, I think it was, and read that. Yeah. And we're talking about mindset here – Definitely think most of the listeners here would agree that, you know, physical parity is a thing, but it's it's that kind of yeah. attitude and drive. Uh, here's a question for you, Richard, because I want to pull back to where you were saying. You said you were highly motivated. Yeah. Where did that come from? Uh, well, that's a good question because this is this is that's part of the influence thing is is understanding what really drives people. So. Mm. For me, what drove me was I like you know like a lot of sportsmen and women is I wanted whatever you say success or I wanted achievement I wanted um, I wanted yeah the, the success there's that element so I wanted to be seen as successful or to myself or and to others um, and also, I'm also driven by growth. Right, I'm, I'm driven by challenge, you know, growth challenge. So there's there's six core things I think that drive people, and this, um, and the two big ones for me are sort of success, achievement, and growth. And so, 
you get a lot of growth from playing cricket, particularly as, as you're trying to move up the, the ladder. Um, you can also get a lot of success. You get a lot of failure as well, but what drives you is the success. So those are the two things that drove me to want to move up the ladder. Um, everybody's a little bit different, so but, but it, it's really handy to know what drives you because then you can play to it and you can set your goals based on top of it as opposed to what other people tell you you should be doing and why you should be doing it. That's a bit like going to university doing law, right? Because your parents think you're going to do law or medicine or be a dentist and uh, sweeping generalisation and forgive any lawyers listening to this, but, you know, most of them go to uni to work out what they don't want to do rather than what they do want to do. And yeah. it's, that, it's what we call that conformity bias. I think we'll get into bias and hacking heuristics and decision-making. We might go down that rabbit hole a little bit later on. But, like, because we're, we're going to go way deeper here, Richard. Tell me about – let's also – another thing you picked up on earlier on about this this whole concept of – uh, a lot of what I've been reading about lately, because I'm, I'm I'm a bit like you, I'm a lifelong learner, curious about the world. Um, why is it that people are so afraid of failure and rejection in a sales context? You know, and we use this terminology, cold calling. Yep. At the start of the show, we talked about, you know, people not really wanting to reach out, but then there are actually all these online marketers and automation, which, you know, you and I dabble in a bit of it as well, but like actually getting people on a Zoom call and scribbling with a pencil on an iPad or actually eyeballing mm. them and, and what we call them rural sniff test. Why, why have people got such an uneasy, majority of people got an uneasy relationship with the concept of failure and rejection? Good question. Uh, well, I think because... They take it personally. You know, it, it feels like an attack on their soul and that if you're saying no to me because you don't want my bag of chemicals, <laughs> that you're actually saying no to me personally. And, and and I think at a subconscious level, when it affects us badly, we, we take it personally and we take it as – and and that by taking it personally, it dents our confidence. And when it dents our confidence, it dents our self-image. And when it dents our self-image, we don't feel as good about ourselves. And when we don't feel as good about ourselves, we're not happy. And when we're not happy, that's it. That's the bot that's the bottom of the pot. We're not happy. So if I put myself in a position where you could reject me then I put myself into a, you know, it's, it can set off a trigger routine of making mm. me not mm. happy and not feel good about myself. So, mm. you know, do I want to put myself in that position? Uh, um, no, who would? Very who few. Would? Very few people. But I bet you put yourself in that position selling photocopies, didn't you? Yes, because... I guess the secret to selling is is to detach your own personal self-image and happiness from <laughs> whether someone says, yes, I want your photocopier or not. So, you, you know, you've got to set up a clear disconnect between yes or no and how I feel about myself. The two, the two things aren't connected, but our brains will often connect them. And when they connect them, that's when we have emotional problems around it. But I, I know... And, and the natural, for some reason, the natural thing to do is to connect it because I think we're used to 
we're used to thinking that a no is a rejection of us. And and I've seen situations, and maybe you've done it, where you know sales coaches actually teach people to go out. And I think this is a really good concept. I've never done it myself, but go out and deliberately get their students to ask questions where they want, where they're where they're trying to get no's. We could we call it go for the no. Right. Go, well, go for the no, but. And I'm not sure I'd like to know your rationale behind why you're trying to do it. But the example I saw was it's just trying to take away the emotion that if you're deliberately trying to connect no's, then sooner or later, because you're doing this exercise and success equals getting a no, sooner or later your brain disconnects no from feeling bad. It's, 100%. It's, is, that, 100%. is that how you've done it? Yeah, look, I mean, the way uh, my view on it is my, and rightly or wrongly, my view is that you're absolutely right. We we see an objection as a personal rejection. Now, what I really love what you're talking about, Richard, I, I like calling you Ricardo for some reason. I've been looking forward to this podcast Go all week, it. and Go I like it. calling you. It's a sign of affection, my man. And so where you're going with it is I, I, I'd love to understand this content of, of detachment more. There was yep. this dude on YouTube, we'll put it in the show notes, and he was a Japanese fella, and he had to do 100 days of rejection. Right. He had to ask women out. He had to ask strangers for money to right. open the door to carry their uh, walk their dog, carry their shopping, and he was he was an absolute introvert. But anyway, I, I'm I'm getting. I'll, it's no, it quite, sounds fascinating. It, it is right. fascinating. It is yeah. fascinating. So it was a whole social experiment in rejection for a hundred days. However, what I want to talk about is uh, two things. First thing is my school of thought on that, and thank you for asking me the question because I love love this conversation, how it's going is the reason why we don't like to be rejected, it comes back to caveman times because our brain is primal and it's biologically wired. So if we're rejected, the amygdala, the oldest part of our brain goes, shit, mm. no mate, no food, no shelter, right. I'm cast out, I'm going to get eaten. Yep. So our old brain hasn't been rewired. It's still right. running on a operating system of about 10,000 years ago when we used to live in caves. So that's that's how I see it. And then secondly is this whole this is what this is the goal this is why i wanted you on the show tell me how you what's your method if you want to share it mm. or some of it how you detach yourself from the sale because i think it's a very rare attribute for people to be able to personally because you know we have so many contradictions and mixed messages in sales right like people buy from people that they know like and trust we only just talked about at the start right because i've been writing notes like a good boy but so there's a contradiction. There's a sort of, you know, sort of contradiction in there straight away. Like, but but they've got to like me in order to buy from me. But then you're telling me to be detached. So can you unpack that detachment kind of principle for me a bit, Richard? Yeah. Well, it's, it, you, it, I think I think your description of that that it, that it may have some sort of, you know, we've been cavemen for millions of years, and so therefore a lot of the brain is well the brain is really still wired up for caveman life and it's only been a you know a few thousand years which is nothing in comparison that we've we've actually been running around walking doing things like we're doing now but but our brains are still millions of years into the caveman and i'll tell you just just speaking of that we're still mm, wired nice. for instincts type thing mm. Although I, we, suppre we suppress instinct though richard don't we so much. well we, we we try to but we we you in some respects you can't so a reflex action you can, yeah, a reflex action. So let me give you an example. In my house, we have a cat that likes to cat, catch rats. And I've mice. just seen your cat. He just come on screen. You've been battling right. left and right. 
Right. Well, what's the name I of your cat? Have, I have a caveman. As soon as I see a rat or a mouse, my whole body, involuntary, I jump and like, Ugh! and it, there's a there's a mouse on the path yesterday, and and I saw it, and I as soon as I walked up, I saw it, and my body went. Ugh! And I, you know, and it's ridiculous. It's a little mouse, and it's dead. Mm. And you're cats, a tall guy, but I still get that um, nervous reaction, yeah. which is hardwired yeah. into me for some reason. Correct. Obviously, my Correct. caveman people didn't like mouses, right? <laughs> and and rat, rat, even I will jump. And my wife has to get. You know, if the cat brings it into the house, my wife and kids have to. I will not. I will shut the door, and I won't go anywhere near it. You are the complete reverse of my wife, who is petrified. She actually paid my son $20 to remove the rat from the driveway. Right. Um, so that's interesting. You share the same, same yes. kind of phobia. So, so it's not, you know, in some respects. Now, when I was at university, the irony is when I was at university, I, I did psychology and one of the things you do is dissect rats and things like that. And that was the session I was just dreading. They had these live rats. <laughs> but anyway, within, you know, within 20 minutes, uh, you know, of being in there, I was holding a rat and it was walking, you know, it was a laboratory rat and all that type of stuff. And it was walking around and I thought, oh, oh, it's, it's fine. Right. It's Cause it was in, I don't know. I, I'd kind of conditioned myself over that 20 minutes to, mm. to, to whatever. I mean, and then I put it down. Now I go out. If I see a rat running around or something, now I jump, I'm, I'm back to jumping. So you can train all of these responses out of yourself. Um, it, it, you know, and, and that hundred days of what a, what a great experience, hundred days of rejection. Um, he, he, you know, I mean, I don't think you need to take a hundred days. You can do it a lot faster than that. But the point is that we do. And I think rejection does have that for a lot of people, that uh, reaction mm. that even though mm. intellectually, you know, they're not rejecting you, you still haven't detached your emotions from that, from that, um, from that situation. Yeah. hundred percent. There's a couple of things in there because the rat situation where you're dissecting it in your psychology lessons at school, at uni, was it because there was a more of a preparedness or conditioning and a context that you were seeing the rat in the laboratory versus you see it on the path at home and you go, because you're not used you, is there is there something in that? Well, I think I think because I knew I was going to do it and I was gearing myself up for it. And then I saw all the other girls, I saw all the girls in the university class holding it and stroking its back and so the environment was one of, oh, isn't this a cute little creature? The <laughs> girls are holding it. You know, because it, 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 it's a lab rat, I said to myself, it'll be a lot cleaner, you know. And apparently rats are quite clean anyway. But but so, yeah, all those things. And I and when I did grab it, I, I, I remember thinking, oh, because of all those things, that those conditioning that made it okay, when I had it on my arm, I thought, oh, I've got a rat on my arm. I never thought I was going to do that, but it happened without me even thinking about it. So, yeah, you know, you can condition anything. You, you can rewire yourself and others. And, and, you know, when we come to the persuasion, maybe that about influencing mm. others, because mm. the bit I'm most interested when it comes to influence and sales and persuasion is influencing others, not so much consciously, but at a subconscious level, at a level where their reaction is almost they can't help themselves. Yeah, love it. I love that. So we talked about the autonomic nervous system, if there is, if I'm getting that right. And now we're talking around 
getting to nitty gritty of this sort of automatic reaction and the automatic automatic or can't say the bloody word, but the automatic nature of hacking heuristics, which is a posh term for human biases and mental shortcuts because our brains are inherently lazy, right? That's why people cut across parks, right? We see that famous. So tell me, um, because I know you're an open-minded, fair individual, Richard. Um, Tell me, you know why I'm doing that, is (laughs) because we're playing now, is this will be fun for the listeners, is give me some examples of where you are able to frame or auto suggest in order to persuade someone at a subconscious level to do something perhaps that you want them to do that they don't want to do. Could you give me an example? Yeah. Well, I'll say I'm not so good at that, at at telling, giving someone commands where they go and do something. What I'm good at is finding out what drives them. Yeah, so the other one would be like more of a – I guess my one is more of a, is a hypnosis one too, but it's a it's, – it's there's the bit where you can just go in and tell people, go and do this, and, you know, you've sure really worked very well. and off they go. Yeah, you know, that's more – that's kind of hypnosis thing. Mm. My one is kind of a hypnosis but it's it's kind of a find out what they want, find out what they what, – what drives them – and then use their then build your argument on top of their pre-existing drivers, which they can't change. Yeah, right. So build it on something which already exists. How do you do that? I've got I've got a theory, but I'd love to know how you do it. Right. Well, how I do it is through a series of questions and knowing what I'm looking for. Right, and this mm. is the key. And 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 all I think most of the people listening to this, and and most people know, we all know that um, everybody wants something. Um, and some of the stuff that we want, we know at a conscious level, and we could say, "Yeah, I want a new car." Mm. And then there's other stuff that we want, which we can't explain. But it drives us even more, and it's 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 almost at the inside of the of the onion. So there's certain drivers that drive all people, and through questioning, I'm interested through good questioning, finding out what is it that drives Saint John. You know what is the drive them? Because once I know what his drivers are, then I can almost build a case for anything. Mm. And show him how he can get what he wants, his drivers met, by my method. So, so the first question that I get that I would ask, I mean, maybe we just do it. I'll, I'll run you why through. Don't we, why don't we? Ro- why don't we role play? I'm up we for that. Could role play. You can call me Sinjin. Sinjin. Well, that's I've called you, but that's not your name, is it? It is. It is. But I said it was Sinjin years ago, and you said no. No, I said if it was a surname, it's St. John. If it's a surname, it's St. John. Maybe I did you wrong there. Maybe I was playing with you. Because you must have been. Because I always well, said. I didn't, not deliberately. Not deliberately. St. John or St. John. You said St. John. And I, I said, must oh, have been. Maybe, maybe I wasn't sober. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was it. <laughs> you, were, you were lying down at the I think time. It, I, it was on a park bench at about 10, yeah. 10 a.m. at Chafer's yeah, Park, I remember. No, okay. no, no, all good. So tell me. About those questions. Okay. In fact, let me let me tell you a funny story first. Please. Okay. So 
the first time I kind of worked this out was uh, I thought, oh, this is kind of amazing because I was doing it on myself. And, and I, we were working with, who were we working with? Harcourts, I think. Harcourts and Blenheim. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, listen, I'll do this bonus session with you guys. When we do our coaching, we always know that if we're going to be successful at coaching, we need to find out what your drivers are and then get you to set some goals on your pre-existing drivers. And then you're far more likely to have the motivation to follow through and go and do it and we'll, we'll look like good coaches. 100%. And so we've been doing that to you guys and we've found out your drivers. We haven't told you, but we've found out all your drivers and we know what, you know, and, and, and you guys are all fired up. But I'd like to teach you guys to do it or show what we do because they're all salespeople and show you what we do. And then um, you guys might be able to use it and you're selling real estate. And they said, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Love to do it. So I said, all right, well, pick something that you'd, you're not overly motivated. Let's, let's use a scale of zero to 10. If 10 is I'm desperately motivated to have it and zero not motivated at all, and I'll get you to pick something a bit later on in a minute. Um, awesome. Well, Sinja, that, that something, and I said to them, something where you're about three out of 10, you're not, you know, mm. yeah, you know, you could have it. It wouldn't be bad for you if you did it or, or you had it. Mm. You know, it's not like it's not going to put you in financial difficulty or anything like that. So just have a think about something. And um, and they said, all right. And and we did this exercise, and I gave them the questions, and they all they all went through the process of asking questions using these questions, and they 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 all sold each other microwaves and dishwashers, and hypothetically <laughs> using this approach. And that was fine. And everyone said, yep, that was good. And we came back the next week. And and everyone's, uh, you know, there's a bit of noise in the room. And I said, right, oh, let's get on to the next thing we're going to cover. And they were like, oh, yeah, you, hey, um, hey, hey, you know, and they're all, there was all this noise and they're all laughing. And I said, what's going on? They said, oh, they said, oh, you know, half the room, half the room had bought the things that they'd hypothetically practiced wow. the week before, right? The microwaves, dishwashers and and, and we said, oh, show us a room at roll of, you know, half the room had, had bought the thing. And it was really just mucking around. Yeah. So I thought, shit, that's funny. Because I knew it was quite it? powerful and I knew it worked because we'd been doing it to them, but I didn't know whether it would work in a selling situation. So then this one's even funnier. I went to Versatile Buildings yeah. in um, up the coast and they had four sales guys. And I said, I said, well, here's what's happened last week at Harcourt's. I'll take you through it and let me know, you know, we'll, we'll see, see how it goes. So I said, I want you to pick something you're not overly motivated to achieve or do or buy, and and I'll take you through the questions and, and we'll see what happens. Right? And the first guy out, well, I said, well, I need a volunteer. Is there someone here who, who I can ask the questions on so I can do a bit of a demo? On oh, hey, Donald. Donald, uh, you know, <laughs> Donald's sitting there with his arms crossed. You know, uh, bad body language. Yeah, you know, know, I've done sales. I've, you know, you can't teach me anything. I know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And 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 I said, all right. Well, I said, what what do you want? And he said, um, he said, well, I don't want anything, but sell me a new car. At least he didn't say sell me your pen. Sell me this pen. That's right. (laughs) Speaking of cliches. So so he says he said I don't want one. I said where are you on the scale of zero to ten for a new cat? He said oh, about three. You know, thinking thinking about, but I don't want one. And they're all go they're all laughing because you won't sell Donald a car. He's he's tight as, right? 
So, so I asked him a series of questions, went through the questions, found out, oh, yeah, okay, did a little that. And uh, I said, where are you now? I said, I'll take you up to seven. Take you up to seven. I won't take you higher because I, I don't want you to go buy your car. So he said, all right. So I asked him a series of questions, which I'll ask you, Sinjin, uh, in a minute. And um, I said, where are you now? He said, he said, oh, I'm at seven. I said, really? He said, yep, I'm at seven. He said, I'm not going to buy one, but, but I am at seven. So I said, all right. I said, okay, do you want to do another demo? Yep. Craig, what about you, Craig? He said, all right. Well, renovation on my batch. I said, oh, Craig, yeah. got, Craig obviously had better body language. Yeah. Craig, Craig was all up for it, but he He's said, I'm three it. out of ten. I said, I'm not going to do it, but, you know. I'm, I'm, spotting uh, a, I'm spotting a pattern here, Richard, of the threes and the sevens. Yeah, I know. Well, I said, I won't take you, I won't take you any higher. I said, I can take you up to 12, but I'll just take you to seven because I don't want anyone going spending money you don't want to spend. So I said, all right. You know. Anyway, I took Craig up to seven. And then did um, Heath. Heath was the last guy. Nike golf driver. He said, so so Donald's at seven, Craig's at seven. We stopped there. Heath's, Heath's at minus three. So where are Whoa. you? I'm at minus three for a Nike golf driver. And he Doesn't said, like I golf. don't play golf and I don't want to. I'm at minus three. Sell me that. Right? Sell Ooh, me that. Tough, 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 tough gig. So anyway, so took took Heath up to seven as well. Um, and then... Came back the next week. True story. I mean, this wouldn't be a very good story if I was just making it up, right? Um, came back the next week, and they're all laughing, and and uh, and they. I said, right, let's start on. Oh, ask Donald how he got on. <laughs> I said, oh, what? Um, Sorry, I'm still not sure about that. Oh, well, Siri, Siri's got an answer. Siri. So, so ask Donald. Uh, Donald had to get on, and Donald is now sitting there with his arms crossed, and he's shaking, he's shaking his head, and I go, what? Yeah. Did you? You know, they said, oh, ask him about his car. And I go, <laughs> and Donald's shaking his head going, no. He's, and I said, well, you didn't buy a car, what? He said, I didn't buy one car. I bought two cars. <laughs> Thanks to you, I, I went out and bought that car, and then I bought it home, and my wife said to me, if you're having a brand-new car, I want one as well, and I had to buy one for her too. Fair he enough. Said, Thanks to you, I've spent $90,000 in the last week. I thought that's hilarious. And then, and then, okay, all right, let's get on with the show. And they said, uh, oh, ask Craig how he got on. Craig, what was Craig? Craig was, you were a renovation. We well, haven't renovation done a renovation. Match. He said, no, I haven't done a renovation. But he said, I have got, this is in one, it might have been two weeks, one or two weeks gap. Um, I've got a $90,000 mortgage approved from the bank to do, to do my renovation. <laughs> I said, oh, shit, you're joking. Heath was sitting there very proud that he hadn't bought his Nike golf driver. He's the only one that, you know, been able to. Well, he started from minus three, right? He was minus three. We had a a way to go. But he went and bought it later. The owner of the company came back and said Heath's bought his Nike golf driver. So what I wanted, wanted Richard, sorry, forgive me for jumping in. I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by that because there is something going on there, like an auto-suggestion or a labeling technique that you're using, you're obviously going to use me as your guinea pig, and I'm yep. already very worried yep. about that. Yep. And interestingly, I don't know if the listeners picked up on it, does everyone always start with a three? I tell them to start with something they're not overly motivated for. So they choose three. So three yeah. is usually the number. Well, I'd say it's pick something about three. Because you know when you just, and this is where I'm very amateur on this stuff, and this is why I've got you on the show, is when you say to someone, pick a number from one to ten, the mm. number's always seven. Numbers usually at seven. Like statistically, we know it's seven. Oh yes, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell right. me, um, 
I don't want that. I don't want someone at seven because to move them from seven to ten is not very impressive. No, no. You want you want that con- contrast. I want you? someone who, you know, it's something they've thought about before. It's not zero, but it's low. It's not something which is going to happen without. So you, are you on that then, my friend? Are you on that? Are you tapping into people's uh, desires? Because Eugene Schwartz, the old copywriter, he used to say, it's very, very expensive to educate a customer. It's far easier to align to their motivation. Right. And, and then the old Napoleon Hill, think and grow rich, you know, fire your desire, like, you know, burn your belief and all those sort of things. So, you know, we know I talk about the three S's and this isn't a Tesla model. Like this is success, status and significance. And I could put a fourth one in their social standing. If you threaten any of those four S's, mm. then usually you're not going to win a sale. And predominantly man or woman – Status, significant social standing and survival, there's a fifth one, are the key things for me. But let, I'm interested in your thoughts. Like how are you di- how are you diving into that, those deep motivations that are always there? Yep. How are you, how are you doing that? Right, questioning. So I'm looking for six. There's six. And, and status, success, achievement is one of them, right? Yeah. So let's say that's number one, but there's six of them, and, and they're all important. And I got these from Tony Robbins, right? Mm, and I nice. used to watch, you know, I went to a couple of his events, and he would, you know, he surprise to- and certainty. Sorry, he talked about, I've seen this, he talks about surprise and certainty, which is a yep. dichotomy, isn't it? Yes. Sorry. Yep, me. exactly. And that's exactly the thing. So, uh, you know, I'd watch him flip people around and go, that is an amazing trick. I would mm, love 100%. to do it. Mm. Right? And, but, uh, you know, uh, how does he do it? How does he do it? Well, okay, so what what he's looking for and what I'm looking for is one of six things. Number one, th- these are all drivers. So these you could call them human needs or core emotional drivers that drive someone, okay? Um, and, and, and you can find them so fast with the right questions. It, it, it's funny. So number one, success, achievement, um, respect, you know, all the same sort of thing. You might put call them different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, love and connection. Mm. Right. So there are people driven by um, a need to be connected to others, um, family, um, partners. Very strong driver. You take them out of that situation, and they freak out. Um, yeah. So that's number two. Number three, um, certainty. So certainty, security. Consistency, right? These people mm. need not the, you know the smaller comfort zone, but that they'll often be accountants. They like they like um, routines. They like to know their boundaries. They like you know systems and structures. They like rules. Mm. They like mm. rules. Mm. My, my, my wife's a big one for this. Um, they're often accountants or compliance type. Because that's they like Makes that. they sense. like to fit within the they like to know where they stand, they like to plan their holidays in great detail before they go, mm. right? They've mapped it all out, or they've you know. Uh, okay, number number four: uncertainty, variety, or freedom. Right, so you might call mm. it any of these words, but same sort of thing: variety, uncertainty, freedom. So these people are kind of the opposite to certainty. I'm a bit like this. They're not great. 
I'm good at coming up with systems. I'm not very good at following them. Mm. Right? Mm. I love the creativity of, of, of coming up with it. Um, they, they would go on a trip and leave everything to the last minute. We'll work, we'll work it out once we get there. You know, <laughs> why would we restrict ourselves? We don't know what we're going to come up against. Let's read and react. You must drive your wife mad. Yeah, yeah. I know she yeah. loves you to pieces, but you, you must be quite different because she's more, you know, rules and systems, whereas yeah. you, you like the system, but you like a bit of bend and flex, right? That's it. And, but, but I actually think often those types of, some, you know, opposites attract, and I think the reason mm-hmm. sometimes Oof. opposites attract is because you see what you don't have in someone else, and I guess by me having someone who's well-organized, tidy, follows the rules – that's actually quite useful. Yeah. I I know ha- having being unflexible and unstructured and creative. I know that's an asset, but I also know the downsides as well. Yeah. And so she can balance that, and vice versa. She's mm-hmm. a bit more mm-hmm. conservative, stick to the rules. Da, da, da. But she also knows she's limited, and and if she has a partner who can go way beyond where she's comfortable with going, that adds to her. Yeah, 100%. Lovely balance, lovely amargo there. Totally. So number four is uncertainty, variety, freedom. These people like, you know, they don't like rules. They, they, they like freedom. They often, you know, I mean, they'll go into business and they're quite entrepreneurs. They go into business. Why, why do you go into business? Because, you know, I want to be my own boss and, mm. you know, I don't want to be told what to do anymore. And, okay, so number five. five. Number five is growth. So these people are growth junkies. So probably, possibly a lot of people listening to this will be high on growth. You'll be high on growth, I bet. Um, we'll see in a minute when we ask the questions. And they, they they love learning. They love growing. And and this is a big one for me. But I remember when I was in my IT job and I was earning quite good money and my wife was going, gee, they do pay well, don't they? And I'm going, yeah. But you know what? I've, I've been here for 18, two years and I'm not growing in this job. Mm. You know, I don't see I've got any scope to grow. And and I said, I've got to get I hate to say this because I know it's good money, but I've got to get out. Because yeah. I am the words I used, and this is a growth person, I am I'm dying. dying. I knew you were gonna say that. I knew you were gonna I say am that. Dying in this job. Because it's the reverse of growth, right? Correct. This and it's so deep. You because if you're not learning, you're not growing, you're dying, as old Tony Robbins says, right? That's it. If you're not learning, you're not growing, you're dying. So a lot of a lot of people on this. So growth is growth is uh growth and uncertainty often go together. So to grow, mm. you have to put yourself in uncertain situations. Mm. Uh so those two go quite well together. Uh the final one is contribution. Right? So these people other ones who are driven by, they might say, I want to make a difference. You know, I want to make a difference. That's what they're driven by. And, and we all know people like that. They they just want to make a difference to other people. Mm. They want to contribute. They they'll help out at the they'll help out at everything. You know, charities, they're on board, they're doing stuff for free and they're um, you know, great people to have around because they're givers. Right? Uh, they'll often they'll often be martyrs because they'll they'll just you know they just they they just want to make a difference and make a contribution. So those are the six. So significance, achievement, you know, respect, all those type of things. One number two, love and connection. By the way, it can be connection to yourself as well. 
time. Uh, yeah. Number three, uh, uncertainty, variety, freedom. Number four, certainty, rules, consistency. Um, five, contribution. And six, growth, or the other way around. Doesn't mm. matter what mm. the order mm. is. No, right? So when I'm, when I'm talking to someone, and you can often tell if you know someone, you can kind of go, oh, um, I think I know what that person would be. So I think I know that uh, Sinjin uh, is going to be big on growth because he's all, look, look at his look, look look what's behind him. He's got all his <laughs> books and his learning stuff, you know, and he's doing a podcast to 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 partly to help other people learn, but also partly to help himself learn. You know, he's not just doing it for others. Richard, you busted me. You busted me because it's the ex- it's the teacher effect, right? Yeah. The person who teaches learns. I learn more by teaching. God, give us the give us because it's a beautiful quote. That's it. So I can't, I don't I don't can't remember the exact quote, but you've just said it. But I learn more by teaching than by learning. Right. I learn more by teaching than by learning. I well, think you have it's to learn that. how to explain something. So you have to learn it to a far greater 100%. degree, and then you have to simplify it down so anyone can understand. So you really get to know 100%. it at a deep level when you when you teach it. And it's probably the same with me. You know, teaching for me. Yeah, I'd love to say it's all about contribution. I'm a, such a wonderful person. I want to make the world a better place. And there's, <laughs> there's a bit of that in there. There's a bit of that in there. But also I know I learn faster when I teach other people. So yep. yeah, there's more of that probably in it than the contribution. I'd love to say I was this altruistic. But um, so those are the six. This is a bit of a long-winded. Uh, but those are the six things I'm looking for when I'm asking questions, right? And so – when I find out someone's drivers, and now everybody, we all have all of these things to some degree, right? It's not, we all have all of them, but you will have, if you look at that list there, don't tell me what it is. You you, you think in your own head, Sinjin, what, what it is, and, and, and I'll do questioning and see if I can pull it out. But people listening to this, have a think about what your number one and two would be, particularly one and two and maybe three, because they'll probably – drive more of your decision-making than anything else, right? So, so we said Sinjin is going to be a growth. He's going to be growth. He, you know, we can't, he can't even hide it. Now, <laughs> look at his decisions. He's made a decision on every single one of those books, and he's, he's teaching, and he's, you know, he's running workshops and clinics, and, you know, he's going to be growth, isn't he? That's going to be high up the list. Now, there's no right or wrong order. There's no better or worse for any of these. There's just you've got your – preferences which you're kind of hardwired into and, and as soon as you see things where you can get growth or for you it might be contribution or whatever you're going to have almost this um innate nervous reaction like oh that's me i want to do it a bit like me looking at the rat going i don't want it you'll look at a situation and go oh my god i've always wanted to do that yes yes you'll have a hundred yeses yelling and that's why because below the thing that you're looking at you might say paragliding. I want to go, oh, my God, paragliding would be brilliant. It's not paragliding. It's never paragliding. It's not money. It's never money. It's the way those things make you feel, right? And we mm. all kind of know that too. It's not the thing itself. It's the way it makes me feel. So paragliding gives me a sense of, my God, you know, freedom or excitement or um, who knows what's going to happen. It's, you know, if you're driven by that, then the idea of paragliding will be almost, you know, if you get the chance to do it, you'll struggle to hold yourself back. Whereas someone who's a certainty freak who wants calm, you know, certainty and da-da-da-da, they'll probably get more excited by a Volvo. (laughs) 
than jumping Volvo, out of an aeroplane. Uh, and Volvo have done a great job. They're about the only brand that's sort of stayed with that whole proposition of safety, which actually actually has the byproduct of uh, uh, the contention of um, quality. Because really? if it's safe, it's a quality product. That's a, and, and, you know, it's hard to compete with the Porsches and all the others who are all competing on for the success, achievement, status type buyer. Here's one for you, Richard. Have you read that thing? Is it, is it Jeffrey Miller? Spent? He's an evolutionary psychologist and he's very Darwinism. And he talks about conspi- – check this out. He talks about – I've only just learned this. You know I'm growth. And he said <laughs> – How exciting. How, how, wow, wow, breakthrough, newsflash. Um, he talks about conspicuous fitness signals. And he says the reason why someone buys a Hummer rather than Zuki Swift is if we were rational, we'd buy the Zuki Swift because it gets us made to be. That's right. But we want to show that we're the big dog. So we want to show that we're worthy. We've got genetic lineage and we're the guy or girl to mate with. So whether it's the Jimmy Choo shoes, we call it the Mercedes effect. Right. So forgiving anyone that's driving a European car, there might be a few of you, maybe more Toyotas and full Rangers, but we, they're all badges. And they signal our sense of self worth, right? Yeah, 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 or who we are. They they, they, they almost are. project. It's it's used as a vehicle, no pun intended. Literally to project <laughs> how I either how I feel, see myself or how I want to be seen. How I want to be seen. And do you know? Here's another thing that's really interesting. I learned is that those high value brands mm. put advertisements in sort of middle class magazines right, right. to make. The, the people, that, the higher class people that buy them feel better about themselves because they know the middle class can't buy them. Right, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy psychology. Well, that's, so, that's part of it, yeah. Co- pulling this together. Before, I, before I get into the questions, but I had a client mm. who uh, he's worth quite a bit of money and he, he, he was telling me about his architect and he was going, oh, hide this architect, Richard, from a new house. Richard. He's expensive. No, no, he's not expensive. He's excruciatingly expensive. Oof, excruciatingly expensive. Language, yeah. Right? And he was smiling while he was saying it. He was proud mm. of the f- – but he's the best. He was smiling and proud of the fact that he was hiring this excruciatingly expensive architect. And and the whole po- you know point I took out of it, well, well this architect's the best and, and that's like me – and I want to. He didn't want to hire a guy that I could afford. He he wanted to be able to hire a guy that he wouldn't. If the guy had you know was just normal prices, that would have been disappointing to him, because then everybody could have afforded him, and therefore he's not as valuable to that guy. Hundred percent. So, because the funny thing is, the more they pay, the more they pay attention. That's right. Nice cliche. That's right. We could go all day long. Oh, we still haven't got to metaphors. No, I know. Well, I don't even know. I don't even know if we will be able to on this. No, one. we might not. We might have to get you back for that. We might get you back for that. Right. So let's let's go on this thing. Have you thought about something that you that you um, maybe around three out of? It's probably something mm. you should do or should buy, but yeah, you're just not motivated to do it or buy. Yeah, I have. It. Okay, what do you got? I would love to get a Tesla. A Tesla. Okay. So we all know where you're at. Out of 10, where are you out of 10 for a Tesla? 
I would say it's something I don't need, mm. but it's something I want. Yes. <laughs> now, the thing is, as you know, sir, this is, this is very generous of you doing this, by the way, Richard. I love that you're doing this for the listeners, is we don't want what we need. We want what we want. Yeah, that's right. Right? So, yeah, no, keep asking. Well, we, we probably need both, but the, the want is usually, we, you know, people buy what they want, not what they need. Don't sell them what they need, sell them what they want. Yeah, and then sell them what they need. Correct. Right. Everyone wants, everyone needs the strategy, but you sell them the tactics. Right. But anyway, we're getting off the point. Where are you out of 10 for your Tesla? Um, I would say I am a four at best. Four. Okay. Where do you want to be? Let's put a cap on this. Where, where would you? Where, where do you want me to take you to? I'd love for you to take me to a nine. A nine. Oh, notice how he holds back from ten. He just he just sticks himself one step below. I have to have it, and I have to have it right now. Remember, Donald was only at seven, and he bought two cars. But anyway, I don't want to. I'm in trouble influence. now. I don't want to influence you in any way. But okay, so he's at four. He wants to go to nine. All right. Okay. So. I mean, it's quite good to use this thing so we can kind of see where we're at. And what I'll do is I'll ask you, where are you at as we go through this? Right? You sure. wouldn't do this in a selling situation. Dear Mr. Farmer, where are you at now? <laughs> you know, you might, um, you might get kicked off down the race. That's right. But but anyway, it's, it's useful for demonstration purposes. So do you know what a nine would feel like for a, for a Tesla, by the way? So when, when you get to nine, you'll go, oh, yes, I'm there, or no, I'm not there. Oh, I can visualize it. You know what it would feel like? Okay, great. Right. Okay, so what do you want? First question is, what do you want? Okay. Tesla is the answer. Okay, and I'm four out of ten. All right. Why Tesla? Um, an equation of things. Um, let's be honest. Um, status. Um, environmental. Economical. Um bit of badge factor. Um, also want to show that I make intelligent decisions. Okay. Anything There's else? There's a few of them around here in Havelock, I can tell you. Yeah, I bet. Anything else? Hmm. I like how you're doing that. Um, it's Morally, I think it's almost the right thing to do in terms of where it's going. Okay. So that, Kids, okay. generation, sustainability, I try not to think about car batteries too much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's given us, so just so people are listening to this, he's given us, you know, environment, uh, more economical, badge, uh, make intelligent decisions, morally the right things to do. Now, one, one thing I want to point out is that buyers are liars, seeing we're talking cliche. <laughs> right? So, so the true answer will be hidden behind one of those doors, and that's where I need to get. I can't take anything at superficial at face value because face value, people aren't going to give you the truth. Not the, it's, they're not lying, but buyers are liars. They're protecting themselves. Correct, correct. So of those things, um, Sinjin, morally, economic, environment, badge, intelligent decision-making, which is the most important to you? Um, can I ask you, I will, I will play cause this is really lovely. What do you think I, I'm going to tell you what it is? 
but do you want to have a guess? And I'll mm-hmm. tell you on a piece of paper that people can't see. Okay. I'll write it down. Okay. And I've got it right here. So Richard knows I'm no, not hang cheating. On. I've got, I've got, before you show, I've got one I think it is, but but I don't actually know, but I, there's one I think it is. Mm. And I'm Can just, you tell me? Um, I've got it written down here, okay, so well, I will flash it right up. It doesn't matter whether it's. He's, you're spot on. Right. Yep. Intelligence. Okay. Okay. You, you've got it 100%. So, so right. for the viewers that can't see this, me and Richard were there. He, I was challenging Richard, and I know he's up for it, and this is why we got on the show. He's very good at this, and I know you look after architects particularly, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, is he picked it up straight away. He, he, I gave him four or five things, and he wrote on a piece of paper because I wanted to know if he really knew his stuff, which he does. He circled straight away intelligent decision because he knows that that's the most important thing. And then I held a piece of paper up here going intelligent decision at the bottom here. Mm. How, did you, how did you do that? Well, you can tell with the body language when, when, when all, the, all the options are being laid out. One of them, you can see in the body language which ones, which ones are more impactful for the person. Right. So mm. the first question is what do you want? Second question is why do you want it? Next question is of those options, which is most important to you, right? Intelligent decisions, great. Why is why is intelligent decisions important to you? Be seen to be. I think you said being seen to be making intelligent decisions. Why is that important to you? Yeah, you picked that up beautifully. You were really listening. Not only were you listening, you were watching, which is a really really important thing for our listeners to understand. I think I'd like to be someone that is known to make intelligent decisions. I think that is part of my. Go on, being vulnerable here, but this is part of my mm. drive. Like it's part of my identity. It's part of my sense of self, sense of self worth. Is I want to be making good, intelligent decisions, and I want to be perceived as a person of intelligence. I couldn't agree more with you at the start when you were talking around the top two inches. And what will it mean to you to have people see you as someone who makes intelligent decisions, and for you to see yourself as someone who makes intelligent decisions? I think. Again, beautifully done. It was actually more the latter than the former. The first one was actually to myself Mm. um, and secondly to others. But then again, could I be lying? You know, I think, but I'm not because I'm playing because I want to be genuine and authentic here for everyone, including Richard's generosity, is I think I like to make good decisions for myself and my family and then if it happens to get some kudos along the way with others, then I'm, I'm cool with that. Okay. So of those six, right, we had significance, achievement. We had love and connection. Mm. We had growth. We had, we had um, certainty, uncertainty, contribution. Now, what we've done here is we've drilled down a little bit. We've drilled down a bit from intelligent decision-making. I mean, it's not like we've gone too far away from it, but it's I want to be seen to be making good decisions, and I, I want I want to feel I'm making good decisions in my, in my own sense. So I would say that's, that's either, if, if I'm doing analysis here and I'm you know, sitting here thinking, right, what drives this guy? Uh, it's either one of two things, I think. Uh, it's success, achievement, or it could be connection with myself. Right? Mm. 
it's probably success achievement. I want to see myself successful, but known to be making intelligent decisions. Now, it's interesting you use the word known. Mm. Great pickup. As opposed to I know. Mm. So I'm going to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess and I'm going to say that success achievement, for you to be successful in achievement is very high on your driver. Big time. Right? And, and one of the ways for you, one of the key ways for you to measure your success and achievement is by seeing yourself as being intelligent and having other people see, I think I think it need you definitely need the other as well. Having others see you as intelligent as well, and if I've got that, then it's kind of it. it, it that's kind of my success criteria for seeing myself as successful. You are you are hundred percent. You're hundred percent on the money. I think probably sometimes my strength can be my weakness. Yeah, where and that's a dichotomy, isn't it? That 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 drive to be seen as. Um, uh, successful and growth and intelligence is are you all of us and I know I'm not alone we want to seek out validation yeah. and again it's it's back to caveman it's like because I I want to be part of the tribe I want yes. a sense of belonging and by the way you know we we also know that we get further up the food chain so the people that have got higher status get more of the goodies well they get to eat first that's right that's exactly why they say literally you are are you are you up high up the food chain or not you know, are you going to eat the scraps or are you going to eat the top? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah it, and, it's and great. To be, fair, to be fair to you, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously success and it's the same. We all kind of go, oh, some of these sound, oh, they sound a little bit, uh, you know, uh, but we're all the same, particularly people listening to this and salespeople because most people are on sales ladders. And yes. The, one of the reasons they, 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 they work in sales and they're good at sales and they end up enjoying sales is because they want to move up that ladder and they want to get on the stage at the end of the year where everybody's 100%. clapping them. Everybody, and the number of times, I've, you know, when I've worked with real estate agents, the number of times one of the most common things they say is, what do you want? Why do you want it? Why do you want it? What would that mean for you? And you dig, you peel the layer, peel the layer, peel the layer, mm. and you go, what would success look like to you? And they'll go, me walking across the stage at the end of your prize giving and everybody's clapping and the managing director shakes my hand and hands me the trophy for being the number one or top ten and everybody's clapping as I'm – that's with real estate agents. That is the would be the most common dream scenario for them. Um, and you go, oh, that sounds a little bit hollow. Who cares? We're all a little bit hollow, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, it's not a problem. It, all, all, all you need to know is what is it that drives me, because then I can use that and I say, right, Mister Real Estate Agent. You're walking across that stage and everyone's standing and you're number one and you're getting the, and, you know, right. We're going to, you know, we're going to set a goal where you're going to, you know, you're going to do certain things which are going to put you in a position to do that. And they're like fully on board because I've, I've not sold them into their goal, but I've set up their goal. Let's say in this case, it's my product. I've set it up in a way where they can't resist. Because it's 100%. 100% built on what they already want. 100%. 100%. I just want the listeners to like 
really listening to the exercise that Richard's just been through here because he's just given you a very generous little masterclass here, and that probably does it does it a disservice. He's talked about alignment versus misalignment. He's talking about really going deeper. Have you noticed how? Because you, you're teaching me here something. Because this is why I do this, right? As mm. well, not just for the listeners. I for my own personal selfish, selfish benefit oh. as well. <laughs> so you can right? be more successful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shallow, Shallow bastard. <laughs> Good bastard, and uh, intelligent. What he's done there? <laughs> Can you send me the t-shirt, please? <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> oh, this is great. What he's done there, listener, dear listener, is he? Did you see how much attention he was paying to the words that I was using, and not knowing, but known, but known? That was that was really good. And then he was watching me like a hawk. And I didn't watch him because I was so deep trying to answer and play nicely. Is he could watch my body language? Um, we had Susan Macefield on this podcast quite a while ago, Richard. I don't know if you know her, but she teaches card counting in Macau casinos. Oh wow! The one of the largest, and she can watch them watch micro expressions. Oh wow! So she turns up on TV three Good Morning Show. Yeah. And, and broke down when Harry and Meghan were having the interview with Oprah Winfrey. It's a fascinating oh, thing. Cool. So she could see all the nonverbal. So I know you dabble in that. You're, you're, you're pretty pretty good. But he watched me, and he was looking for the intelligent bit, and he spotted it like a hawk. And the, what I love about you, Richard, and we don't talk enough, is that I love the way that you think, and you're fascinated, and you're curious with human behavior. And that's why I wanted to get you on and there's so, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. We're going to have to get you back to talk about metaphors yeah. because I think there's a lot in there because that obviously – and then we're about framing and pre-framing. But for the listeners, you've got a bit of a masterclass, a bit of a taste around auto-suggestion. I wouldn't say NLP. And then for anyone that's a cynical skeptic going, oh, this all sounds like bloody – listen to these two rapping on and trying to do this sort of psycho babble with each other. What you can learn from it is if you are – fascinated by human behavior you have a competitive advantage richard did that in his cricket he's done that in his career he had a that school of hard knocks you know being the i wouldn't say kiwi geezer but being the guy out in the front line learning you've learned a lot about human behavior it's rewarded you well and we're all still a work in progress we're still learning but i think psychology i've said from the start when we because obviously i niche like you and i niche in rural is I think psychology in cells is a superpower. It's a cell superpower. Mm-hmm. And it provides you with a competitive advantage. And if you have a deep curiosity, you find the world very fascinating. What, what, what would you say, Richard? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, you know, look, if you're in sales, you have to, sales is about motivating people, other people to make decisions. And so you have to be a student of psychology to some degree. Well, to a great degree, because you're in the business of understanding first step is understand what someone else wants right so i'm not really in the business of you know you can say influence persuasion you can put a gun to someone's head and that's 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 persuasion but if you can find out if you're good enough to find out what they already want and how they already think and then align as you said sinjin align your product so they, it, it, you know, it, it shows them that they can get what they already want by using your vehicle as a as a vehicle to get mm. to where they already want to go, mm. right? Mm. Now, just just to wrap this up, um, 
That's uh, right. In terms of Tesla, just out of interest, because we haven't actually, we spent a lot of time breaking it apart and going back to analysing things and not staying in the flow of the emotional flow, right? For a Tesla, where are you out of 10 at the moment? Honestly, um, honestly. I would say I'm, yeah, and I will be honest, I'd still say I'm floating around uh I'm not going to go and get one. I can assure you if I do, I'll take a picture. We haven't finished yet, though. We haven't finished. <laughs> I'm probably a – I'm a five. Five. Okay, good. Right. So he's gone from four to five. Okay. So intelligent decision. So I'm selling a Tesla. All right. Sinjin, I'm going to now give you a bit of a rundown about Tesla's. What we find about the buyer of our Teslas are they are very, well, they make intelligent decisions (laughs) disproportionately to anything else I've ever sold before. The people who drive Teslas are smart people. Um, They care about the, they want to make and do, they want to care about the environment and they want to do things. Um. It's not just a badge to them. It's taking action and and holding true to their own ethics and integrity and leading. You know, it's this form of leadership of, you know, we've got to start and I'm prepared to start myself. And it's it's a very – it's not an easy thing to do. It's not something something everybody can do, but it's what the intelligent people are doing. It's very good. It's very good, Richard. Um, give me a few months. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> you, you don't have to buy it. Now, the question is, where are you now, just out of interest? You've definitely nudged me a little bit more again. What I like yeah. about what you've done, you've kind of reflected my inner inner desire. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so... If, again, just to help break it down. No, don't. If, what, no, don't. Okay, no, 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 don't. Stop no. analysing it. That's because I'm intelligent. I know. Um, You're intelligent. Just, just is, stay with the exercise here. Yeah. Because if you keep stopping to explain it, then you're breaking out of your role. Which I want you to in the – I'll give you I'm, – I'm a five and a half now. Okay, five and a half. Right. Now, question. What – You've currently got a gas guzzler, presumably. You haven't got a Tesla. Okay. You've got a car, which you're probably okay with, but it doesn't sort of, I don't know, does it excite you every day? No. Um, Does it make you feel successful or like you're making a difference in the world? Or No, it's just a a car that gets you from A to B, right? Question. Um, If you don't go and act on your intelligent decisions, what, what will it cost you? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not talking about just a Tesla either, but if you don't follow through and, and hold true to your beliefs and values, <laughs> and you say one thing and yet you do another thing. Oh, he's good. What's um, the cost? Oh, the cost is incongruence, isn't it? Like saying one thing and then not doing it. Right. How does that make you feel? Uh, not very genuine. What else? Mm, 
someone that says something and then doesn't do it? One of them. One of them. Who's someone you respect that says something and then follows through and does it? Mm, That's really good. Do you know the person I really respect at the moment? Mm-hmm. It's the um, it's the New Zealand netball coach, Nolene Tarua Banin. And the reason I respect her is some of the girls, some of the ladies came back from summer and she said, you're not fit enough. Right. So you're not playing. Yeah. And so she sent them away, and they were some of her best players. She says, you're not worthy to wear the black bib, right. bib so you're going to have to go and get yourself fit. Right. And you're a professional, and you say you're a professional, but you're not because you're not fit, and you didn't do the preseason training condition. You've come back unfit, so there isn't a place for you on this team. And they went and did a series without them. Yeah. Respect. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. She's got a Tesla. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know good listeners. I did not know that. She's got a Tesla. Bullshit. Yeah. Really? Mm. Well, that's that's my kind of person. I, I see you and her as similar type of people. <laughs> I, I think she's probably a bit better than me. I don't know. I don't know. So, right, thinking it all through, and, and not just that. Like, like, here's the thing. Cars, and I'm speaking a bit more than I normally would. Normally I wouldn't gun. But, but part of being successful is feeling successful, right? And... We've got to surround ourselves with, and sometimes they're just symbols, right? They're symbols of success, but what they do is they hold us, they're they're a reminder of the standard that we want to live by, right? Mm. And and so, therefore, we we surround ourselves by things which are sometimes inspirational or or they're symbolic or they're metaphorical for what we're trying to achieve. Mm. And it seems to me that a Tesla would be a constant reminder for you of what you're what you're all about and what you what you're looking to achieve. It's not just a car. It's it's not just uh, making it's not just about making intelligent decisions and being seen to make intelligent decisions and all that type of stuff. And it's not just about doing the morally right thing. But it's also part of you surrounding yourself with things which are symbols of power, you know, in your integrity mm. and reminders to, to maintain a certain standard. And so, therefore, you're not even doing it just for, you know, it, it, it's part of your performance. It's part of your thing that's going to help you perform, right? You'll be mm. more successful if you're surrounded by these symbols of power and, and success than if you drive a shitter, which means nothing to you and, and doesn't. I, as I see it, you can't afford not to. <laughs> Richard, 
you are good. You are very, very good. And I'll give you, I'll give you a score because we're running out of time, my friend, and you've been very, very generous. This guy's good. This guy's really good because I was, I was playing a little resistant there. But if you notice what he's doing, and I am going to break it down, Richard, now because it's my show, um, <laughs> <laughs> is what he's done there <clears throat> is he's calling to my sense of self and my identity. He's using reference. He's using endorsement. And he's, and he's done it in a very real way. Now, can you do this in a rural setting? No. But what you can do, which Richard's been very charitable in saying, is that you wouldn't rock up to a farmer and do this and then go through the why what they want and why, and then take them through six six ways. But what he's talking about is making sure that you understand what your customer wants and then aligning to that. And he's given you a little masterclass on that. Um, Richard, I've got a couple more questions for you. I'm very grateful for that, by the way. That was very that's the first time someone's done that to me, and I was that was pretty bloody powerful. Um I've got some I've got I've just got to ask you a couple of cricket questions. Mm-hmm. Best bowler you've ever faced? I have had the privilege of facing uh, Dennis Lilly, wow. uh, Richard Hadley, and Wazzy Macram. Who was the best out of that lot? They're all kind of the same, to be honest. Uh, mm. The thing that the thing that they all did, the thing that they're all amazing about, was their length. So there's a there's a length called sort of an in between length or you know that that it's kind of about four paces out from a batter, and everybody can bowl good line you know they can bowl mm. around off stump or just outside so everyone can do that but I tell you what when you're facing great bowlers like that that's the thing I noticed is they hit that length every time and it was you're just guessing because it's the length where you just have to guess because it's it's the bounce in front of you where you're not quite sure if it moves, you're in trouble. If mm, it's too mm. full, you can smother it. If it's too short, you can go back and watch it. But if it's that in-between length, and and those guys, all of them hit that length more often than any any other bowlers that I faced. That's what stood out to me about them. And did that put you on the back foot? Put me on the crease. You, you, don't, you, you can't go forward and you can't go back. If you go back... You, you, you know, you can't time. You can't go forward because it's not it's not there. It's that beautiful in between length that, as a bowler, you're always trying to hit. But the great bowlers hit it five balls out of six, and and everybody else hits it, you know, three times, two two times, three times. Fascinating, fascinating. Second question: What car do you drive? A Toyota Rav Four. Your car? Yeah. What does your wife drive? She drives that as well, and a, and a sensible Suzuki Swift. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, most memorable game of cricket, and why? If I may, yeah, uh, probably my first ever game for New Zealand. Of course. Uh, at the at the SCG, uh, fifty thousand people. Um, I I I hadn't been on the first class scene for too long, so when I got selected for New Zealand, I hadn't I hadn't played against some of the guys in the New Zealand team. They were all kind of people you'd seen on TV, and and same with the Aussies. And so it was a such a surreal experience to be walking out on the field 
with Martin Crow and Danny Morrison and 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 all these guys, Ian Smith and uh, Andrew Jones and and then and then you're playing, you know, you're, you're playing and you're, you're watching the players come out of the tunnel. And you're, oh my God, there's Dean Jones! Oh my God, here comes Alan Border. <laughs> I, I, I knew intellectually they were going to be there and they were going to be playing, but when they're walking out, and it's like now they're now they're standing the you know they're going to play you, and it's, it's not a silly game. They're actually playing for Australia. It's, it's like it's surreal, and you're. Going back to measure out my, I opened the bowling from one end, and uh, going back to measure out the run up, and, and you don't get this in club cricket playing for Sydenham at Sydenham Park. And I'm walking back measuring my run up, and I can see myself on the big screen walking back to mm. measure out my mm. run up. And so I put my hand out to the side just to wave, to say, oh, you know, just to, oh yes, that's that's me, and that's happening right now. And it's like you're going to have to stop and 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 playing with the camera the big screen you actually got to concentrate now and you, you just sort of have to <laughs> you have to switch on and it's so easy when you're going to a different level like that to kind of be sucked up in the oh my god look at everything that's happening and you forget all the basics because your brain's being so absorbed into everything else um almost awashed almost well awashed. it's just overwhelm you know there's yeah. so much stuff to take in there's the crowd how did you reset how did you reset um, I just kept telling myself, don't think about that. Don't think about that. Just off stump, off stump, off stump, off stump. Just do your job. Don't You don't have to look fancy. You know, one of the things you worry about is, oh, you know, at international level on TV, will I look like just a, a you know, an ordinary crappy little bowler? It's, no, forget that. Just do your basic job. Just you know, you're just constantly reminding yourself, just do your basic. doesn't matter what it looks like. Just put the ball, you know, go back to basics, just focus on one thing, forget everything everything else, you know, and so you just try and um, pull yourself back to your one job. Mm. How did you get on that How did you get on that first over? Uh, first ball, I was just hoping it wasn't a wide. I had no <laughs> idea where it was going to go because, you know, and it was to, um, it was to uh, Jeff Marsh and it was a bit down leg. And he turned it for three, and I thought, yes, it wasn't a wide. You know, it was near him. <laughs> it was win, near him. He turned it for three. I think there was two or three wides in the first over, and then I settled down. I ended up with, I think, one for 27 off seven in the end. Um, yeah. Not bad at all. Sorry. Not bad at all, Richard. Not bad at all. Hey, um, i to wrap up. One thing, you've just been back, and um, you've been away for a wee while, mm. and you've come home, and that's great. It's great to have you back. Great to have you on the show. Did you enjoy Barcelona or they Barcelona? Barcelona. What, what did you enjoy about Barcelona? Yeah, well, we were there for about ten days. So I was, I was, I had clients. I had about sixteen clients turn up, half of them from the US and one from Australia and some from the UK. So the best thing about Barcelona was actually holding a client event and having it all tax deductible. It wasn't just, it wasn't the best thing having it all tax deductible, but. Um, having meeting your clients somewhere exotic in the world like that, and they're all architects. So Barcelona oh, for course. architects is, is like a dream, dream city. And we're going to the Sagrada Familia, and it was just, I don't know, it was just great mm. being with all those mm. guys in an environment like that um, after lockdown, I suppose. Yeah. First time we'd caught up for years um, in person. So being with a whole lot of other people, um, I suppose that connection uh, was coming. It was just it was just a magical um, trip uh, to do, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, and it's amazing. I, you know, I didn't put the connection between Barcelona and architectural dreamscape, so yeah. it makes perfect sense now. So, Rich, but two last questions, and I'm going to let you go. Um, what's the number one trait you look for when you are or have been recruiting salespeople, or your advice to people that are recruiting? What's the number one trait you look for? That they can. For me, that they, they, they're prepared to ask the questions to find out what someone really wants and, and they're good enough when they're listening to hear it. Yeah, good. And then, last but not least, I always ask all my guests this question, Richard, and been super appreciative of your time and your generosity, is if you had one piece of advice for a salesperson listening to this podcast, what would it be and why? And forgive me if you've duplicated it or repeated it. And if uh-huh. it's worth repeating, repeat it. Yeah. What's the one piece of advice you'd have for them and why? Yeah, okay. It would be, and I'll, I'll do the long version of it, it's not about success or rejection or anything like that. Success is finding out what people want and giving it to them, Right. And mm. if you remember that, you know, success as a salesman, you're not trying to shove something down someone's throat who don't need it. If they don't need it, don't sell it to them. So your key is be really good at finding out what someone wants, not just superficially what they tell you what they want, but have the skills to dig a bit below that and find out what they really want, mm. right? Success is finding out what they want and then giving it to in, and giving it to them, you know, just find out what they want and give it to them. And if you can't give it to them, don't try and sell them something they don't need. And if you take that attitude, all I'm trying to do is help people get what they want, then I think it takes away a lot of the emotional feelings of rejection. It's like, no, that's no, not a rejection. I just didn't have what they wanted, and that's fine. Not everyone's going to – you know. but for those who I can help, I'm going to ask. I'm going to find out. For those who I can help, then I'm going to help them. And if I can't help them, no problem. I'll move on. Love that. Love that advice. I really like how you talk about digging deep, not taking the first answer as a like we did with our exercise. You dig deeper and you get curious and go, why? I mean, you're almost like the five whys, right? Like why? And then you peel the onion, as you said. Mm. And then like if if you then, and that's the whole detachment thing as we close this off around, if you can't help someone help get them what they want, that's okay. And I think that helps with attachment. And then it doesn't mm. force the sale. I've always said sales mm. should be a conversation. Mm. I've always said conversations beat presentations. Mm. And I've also said the problem with sales is selling. Well, and, and if I can just say one more thing. Please. So when I'm, when I'm, you know, I think this is the way to do sales, but when I'm speaking to someone, I'm not trying to sell them. Well, in the first instance, I'm not trying to find out. I'm not trying to sell them something. I'm trying to find out if I can add value to what they're trying to do. That's yeah. what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to qualify them. Yeah. And so it's word. not a rejection if, if if there's not a fit. I mean, it may be that I decide we're not a fit. The Correct. first conversation is finding out. Is there a fit? What do you want and can I add value to you? And it may be I say, hey, listen, I, I don't think I'm the right person for you. So it's not a sale. It's It's a qualification. And then if I can, then we'll talk about what I can do. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's that kind of oh, such a word, but like the integrity of that. It's like you, I, always, I always teach you serve before you sell. Yeah. So if you're serving someone's best interests, 
rather than serving your best interest, you're going to make more sales. And then I can't remember who it was. Was it Leroy? He always said, you know, profit is the measure of the service you render. Right. And you're, you're exactly the same. You just articulate it in a different way is that, you know, ultimately you're absolutely right. It's like, can I help you? Well, first of all, I want to find out and qualify. Uh, so I need to find out what you want, yep. what you really want. Yep. And that's not a Spice Girl song, what yep. you really, really want. And then secondly, qualify if I can help you get you what you want. And then have the professionalism and integrity to say, actually, I can't help you, yep. but I do know a bloke or yep. woman that can. And here's the person because you play the long game, not the short game. And we make sales so, so complicated, Richard. And I think we'll leave it at that because you and I will just go on forever and I want to go and drink a beer and because um, it's a Friday afternoon here. Richard, I am super, super grateful for having you on the show. I've learned a ton because, as you know, that's pretty important to me. Very, um, yeah, me too. Richard, tell me, tell the listeners what you're up to. Um, I'll put all your details in the show. Where can they find you? Where can they reach out? Where do you hang out? Uh, well, the easiest – look, I've kind of niched, so, but I am doing some things for Harcourts and a few other things. But if someone wants to reach me, the easiest way is uh, Richard at MT2, so M for Mary, T for Tango, number two, .co .nz. Awesome. Right, so just email me uh, or zero two. – I'll give him a cell phone, 274 303030 you know, that's quite a good number to have, isn't it? Yeah, it's not Had bad. that for a while. Yeah. Richard, hey, you've been you've been an absolute gen, super generous. Loved the chat. Went on for a wee while, but time very, very well spent. Um, we'll get this up and we'll get all your stuff in the show notes, and I'm super grateful. I know you didn't need to come on the show and hang out with me. I hope you've enjoyed it. I know I have. I'm sure some of the listeners will as well. There's a lot of learnings in there. And, um, yeah, just just super glad that you, you agreed to come on. So thank you. I'm always pleased to hang out with someone who's an intelligent decision maker because it <laughs> makes me a better man. So thank you because I, I feed off that. So, no, I awesome. no, loved it, really enjoyed it. Thank you, and thank, good luck to the listeners. Go well, and, uh, yeah, and uh, thanks. thanks for having me. Thanks, Richard.